0: Episode, and i have to just say happy halloween
1: happy halloween this is a this is a special episode indeed it is this is our halloween special so good to be here <laughs> it's always good to be back <clears throat> even if the dog is a little bit haunted today hopefully it doesn't hopefully that the haunted dog doesn't freak out my real dog and <laughs> This is why I use headsets. So, so. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. It's, what, 90 seconds? We got to start doing a bingo card. How long it takes us to get off the rails. That's um, true. And, and no, before we hit record is not an option because then they win every time. So Halloween episode, it's a special. This is a stray dog. If anybody hasn't been paying attention, um, this is when Jim and I just get to talk with Jim and I uh, because why not? So we've got another Perfect. stray dog. This is our fourth uh, because we've actually been keeping count. We have. Yeah. Well, you have. So you, you've been keeping us looking good.
1: I don't know. That's uh, what the schedule says. So, <laughs> Well, who maintains the schedule? I have no idea. I don't want to take credit for that mess.
0: Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> that's a little bit scary, but that's a good segue for what is our topic today?
1: Well, seeing it's Halloween and, you know, this is a Wi-Fi podcast, i why don't we talk about the scariest Wi-Fi we've ever seen? I had to go there. Yes. Stuff, stuff that makes you scream, whether, (laughs) whether it's just internally or actually externally.
0: I feel like, I feel like part of this episode came together. I think we were talking several episodes back. um, And, and we mentioned bad fi and, uh, And then we had the epiphany. Somebody had the epiphany. I'm not going to take credit or blame, but we said, you know, let's let's talk about worst Wi-Fi, scariest Wi-Fi. And uh, somebody who's not on the podcast, maybe possibly you um, looked at the schedule and said, hey, look, we're going to release on Halloween. And it kind of just clicked. See, if we had a producer, he'd be planning this. So this is just us getting, you know, sheer dumb luck.
1: Yeah, that's generally how it works, isn't it, though? If I, if it wasn't for dumb luck, I'd have no luck at all. Well, not so let's luck. put, let's put a little preface behind this though, because not to bring too much personal information into it, but you've been going on a lot of college tours lately. Oh God. Well, not a lot, but I mean, more some, than enough. More
0: than, more than
1: enough. enough. And every time you go on, on these tours, you know, looking, you know, at what colleges you're, um, Children are going to be going to. I always get these random messages from you, <laughs> and it's like, can you believe they did this? And can Hell you believe yeah. they did that? So I figured, you know, let's sort of take that whole thing of of John being scared going on college tours with the Wi-Fi that he sees, and let's make an episode about it. Let's actually talk about some of the what are some of the scariest things that you've seen? So, not counting the college tours because I don't want to name and shame people on here. I want yeah, to, I I want to keep it.
0: And I can actually add a high school to that yesterday because I've got oh. for, the, for You want to talk about scary. I've got three kids going into college next year. I've got a young son going into to high school in a year and change. So, yeah, I'm I'm going on tours. But, yeah, I saw one yesterday, and I'm not going to get to it now, but we can talk about it later because it's number five on your list. Oh. Um, and I just cringed. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a list we can go down. We can, we can throw some random stuff in there. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about some of the scariest Wi-Fi ever.
1: Let's start with the scariest thing that everybody – I think it's a one of the most universal, hated, scariest things ever, captive portals.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree with that. Um, now, I, I want to throw out the caveat not to be the, the SE on the podcast, but I, I am the SE on the podcast. <laughs> captive portals and other things on here at the end of the day, there could be a valid reason for them. From a Wi-Fi engineering perspective, we might not like them, but the reality is if the customer's saying, I want this, I need this, here's my reasons why, if they're paying for the deployment and it's their deployment, it's their call, end of story. As Wi-Fi professionals, what we have to do as much as we can without getting argumentative is explain why it's a bad idea. With that sort of disclaimer out of the way, why are captive portals bad, Jim? Why are they scary?
1: So I'll put a little, I'll put a little disclaimer behind this again, because I actually wrote a blog post a few years ago on my personal blog about captive portals. And, and the thing is, we have to understand sometimes that there are legal requirements, or somebody comes down when the lawyers come down and say, you know, the lawyers portal organization comes down and says, We are mandating you have a captive portal. At that point, you know, as much as we don't like it, we have to go that way. We have to do it. And it's not that they're all bad. Because some of them I have not been too bad that I've been now. What drives me nuts and what drives and was makes me scared is when you get captive portals that are misconfigured. And that is what is scary about it. Because I remember um not to name names, but a long time ago we had a captive portal that would give you not the blue screen of death on your Windows computer, it would give you what I called the white screen of death, which was You would come you would get through the captive portal experience and then it would just show you a white screen on your browser. And what that meant was connected or not, right? Well, what that meant was is that you were connected, but because you weren't going anywhere, because a lot of captive portals will have what's called a post-authentication redirection, and yet devices will have a method to figure out if you are on a captive portal and they'll pop up a browser just to get through the captive portal. But if they don't have a post-authentication redirection, you're not going anywhere. So it doesn't redirect you because you can click it and say, hey, redirect it to wherever it was I was going. Great, except you weren't going anywhere. So it didn't send you anywhere. So you got a white screen because there was just nothing to display. And so I got, you know, so once I realized that, I started programming that into all of my my captive portals. And normally it would just take you to an internal HTML page that would say, congratulations, you are now online. In the worst possible HTML font and format and script you could ever come up with because i am not a a code but it was a it was that message of and so i would i would institute a post-authentication redirection on all my captive portals and it solved a lot of those problems and so that's the scary thing with captive portals is not necessarily that they exist it's that they're misconfigured and they don't work
0: yeah no that's that goes back to and you'll hear it a lot um fast frictionless forget about the free part (laughs) um, Because, again, at the end of the day, there are definitely people in the community that will say captive portals are bad, and it's a blanket statement. The reality is, like Jim said, lawyers love them or hate them, and and I have no opinion there uh, in any case for any lawyers listening. Legal requirements, end-user protections, things like that, they need to be there. So yeah, that's fine, but get them right. Get them right. Uh, Moving on this is one just, i know and i'm going to plug it i'm going to plug this cuz this is the one that i think was my my introduction to jim palmer before jim palmer became ruckus rate limiting this is a bad idea terrible horrible scary bad idea why is it bad why is it scary
1: you know funny thing is this actually just came up the other day on one of the slacks you know i don't forget which slack it was but they were talking about tcp retries at layer 4 And that is why rate limiting is a bad idea because we think of retries as a layer one retry on you know going over the air like hey I had to resend my my frame because I didn't get an act type of thing. But there's also a TCP retry at layer four. And so when you rate limit, and and this is even worse when your your firewall or whoever's rate limiting doesn't do a traffic shaping, which is they just you know, if you buffer it and you and you shape it. That's worse than if you just drop it. So what happens is, is the server, say like a you know popular media streaming service, will send your client 100 packets. And you your rate limiting says you get 10. And so the client device then sends a TCP ACK saying, I have 10 packets that I got from you. And the server says, great, let me send you the other 90 you didn't get, except those 90 are being shaped on the firewall and being held. And so now you have a duplicate of 90 packets and then you let another 10 through and you go, great, I got, I got 11 through 20 and it says, okay, I'll send you the other 80 again. So now you have, you know, 90, 80 and, or 80, 80 and 80, where you see, now you have like 240 packets sitting on your firewall, which is congesting your WAN interface. And so you can create a den- a directed denial of service attack against yourself because, your client devices are not sending an ACK back to the server, and it's a layer four ACK that we don't look for, letting it know I got all of its packets. And so you can actually do a directed denial of service attack against yourself by rate limiting, and it will crash your WAN link. And then you think, hey, now I got to go buy a bigger WAN link. So then you spend more money, when you really don't have to. So there you go. Yeah,
0: definitely scary. I think the, the, the short and skinny of that is ultimately... You know, getting in, without getting into the WAN links, the idea of Wi-Fi, it's burstable traffic. Get them on, get them off, get them on their way. Um, I, uh-huh. I reference that because I was that was Jim's blog post when Jim worked at his former job. Um, you, you rate limit somebody to 10 meg, it's going to take them a long time to download a movie. If you don't rate limit them at all, that movie's downloaded in a couple minutes and they're off the network. So. Sounds good in theory and I understand there's some if you're paying for the Wi-Fi or you're you're having them pay for tears um, That's a different story, and that's a whole different podcast, but Generally speaking um, unless you absolutely have a compelling reason to do it don't Moving on this one. I I I look at this one and it's I'm scratching my head because it just doesn't sound pleasant (laughs) RRM malfunctions Yes, What, what what say you mr. Palmer?
1: This is another one of those. I tell people all the time. I'm not smart. I, you know, I don't. I don't know stuff because I'm smart. I know things because I've screwed it up. <laughs> so I've been through these pains. I've, you know, it's like I know the mistakes people are going to make because guess what? I've already made them, and usually more than once. So, RML functions are generally around the idea that, hey, you're going to turn on RRM. You know, a radio resource manager of some sort, and every vendor has them, right? You're going to turn that on and it's going to set all your channels and, and everything for you. And it's going to, it's RF engineer in a box. And that really works really well. As long as your client devices can see each other over the air, you know, from the RF perspective, because then it knows, Hey, who are my RF neighbors? What channel they're on? All that kind of stuff. Now, if that fails, what ends up happening is, is the APs don't think that there's anybody around them. So that's what they report back to the controller and says, Hey, I'm on an Island all by myself. And so the controller goes, great. When you're on an island all by yourself, you get channel 36 at 80 megahertz wide, and then you come in on you know on a Monday morning and you look and you go, "Why are all my APs on channel 36 at 80 megahertz wide?" When I have ten of them that can see each other.
0: <laughs> now, the other my my only example of I can that I can share in the wild, and I'm not going to name and shame, but <laughs> I had one site that it was sort of instead of having it misconfigured, um, it wasn't on at all. So you literally had a building with like 100 APs and they kept on and nobody had been on site and people were complaining that oh, it was just horrible Wi-Fi, horrible Wi-Fi. And we finally went on site and I think we, we turned on the survey tool and within like two APs, we're looking at the the readout and we're going, well, that's a problem because <laughs> it was every AP was on the same channel. They didn't turn on, they didn't read, they didn't do any channel plan. It was all everything just went auto. Um, and and left it, turned it off. There was no intelligence whatsoever. And yeah, when you've got 100 APs all on the same channel on
1: 2.4 and five, bad day, scary bad day. And you know, this is this we could even do a whole podcast episode on this. There are a lot of cool features in a lot of different um, platforms and everything else that really can help out a Wi-Fi engineer. But for most of those, you can't just turn them on and walk away you have to do some rm as a prime example channel fly is another example you know where you have these all these cool features and you, a lot of people think hey i can just turn those on and walk away i don't have to adjust any of the the defaults that's not true if you're going to use these tools like rm make sure you take some time to understand what they do how they operate how they're supposed to operate and then just keep an eye on it to make sure that they're not screwing you because they will if if you don't take the time to learn your platform, learn those tools, learn how they operate, more importantly, learn how they break, then it will one hundred percent make your life a lot more difficult and it make us scream.
0: Yeah, and channel fly is a good one. Um and I missed the scream cue there. Channel fly is a good one <laughs> because I think Jim and I have been on a, a number of conferences and events and and Slack channels and things like that, where invariably there's always somebody who's never worked for Ruckus who has a channel fly joke to make. So it's a bit of a sensitive subject with this, but the reality is most of the times when people see a Ruckus AP in the wild and they're like, oh, that's, that doesn't work well. It's because something like that where somebody didn't know what they were doing with ChannelFly. And yeah. again, and, and, then, and it's a, it's a I can make a generic statement that that applies for almost every vendor. It's got great tech, but if you don't know what you're doing with it, you will screw it up, Yes, um, which, is, which can be very scary.
1: All right. Next one on here.
0: This is a good one. I like this one, and I've seen this one in the wild before, and it just makes you cringe. I'm putting an I've internal s- AP, you know, just an omnidirectional AP in a metal
1: box. Yes, and I'll just even do you one. I'll do you one better. The mounting it, I'll do you one better in a metal box above drop ceiling with the door slightly opened. <laughs>
0: uh yeah. I, I've had customers do that. I mean, I, years back. When I didn't know what I was doing with Wi-Fi because I wasn't doing Wi-Fi, um, <laughs> I had a, a manufacturing facility that put their APs in metal like mesh boxes because if you, the mesh would let it through, it doesn't. Um, because they were worried that, and I'm like, well, is this like forklifts hitting them? They're like, no, we're worried about people stealing them. Yeah, you know, if you just don't put them up, They're, it's not going to work. I don't think we need to say much more about that.
1: No, metal metal boxes, really small mesh. Don't do it. There's a bunch of other solutions. Take some time. Just Google it. You're going to find a solution in like three minutes on Google.
0: Yes. And if the heathens can't be trusted to not steal the Wi-Fi, then just don't give it to them. Yes. <laughs> All right. Moving on. This is this is one I referenced before. APs yes. mounted like a clock, as in like not mounted correctly. For the most part, most APs should be mounted in a particular way, usually called out in some sort of documentation that comes with the AP or you can always ask your SE, they'll help you out. Generally speaking, most of them should not be mounted on the wall. We do have some, the H series. You can wall mount them,
1: but that's designed to be mounted on a wall.
0: I was in a gymnasium yesterday that had, I'm not even sure. I didn't get close enough to see what it was. It wasn't ours, but it was mounted like a clock right next to the exit sign. (laughs) And I just put my head in my hands and wanted to weep.
1: So yeah. Don't do that. Well, now, now, hold on. Hold on there, John. I have to throw in. It depends in here. What if so? I saw I'm not saying this is this is the exception that proves the rule. I saw somebody who was very, very particular. I'm trying to come up with a good a good family friendly <laughs> way to say that who um, didn't want to sell his one plot of land and his plot of land was six feet wide. So he built a house that was six feet wide and it was really long and it was really tall. Now, if you're that guy who has a house that is six feet wide, go ahead and mount your AP like a clock on the wall because you'll get nice coverage up and down, you know, through the through the floor. But because your house is only six feet wide, you know, you're going to get plenty of coverage off the front of that AP, you know, that that will go from left to right because you'll get some coverage. But, you know, if if you're not that guy living in a house that's six feet wide and four stories tall. Yeah, so if you understand the radiation patterns, if you understand those patterns that are in all the data sheets, every AP, every antenna data sheet has a pattern. Understand your pattern. And then if you understand that and you're like, hey, I only need to cover six feet off the face of my AP, but I want to go up and down. Sure, mount it like a clock. I'm fine with that. But don't mount it like a clock because you're lazy. Agreed. (laughs) now
0: to our next fun one let's see what we got we got low minimum basic rate and dss rates
1: that's scary that is scary now again i mean let's be honest with you right or with the exception of the mounting your ap inside a metal box or a mess cage you know without external antennas that run outside of the box for the most part of these there's some there's a lot of you know it depends it's like you know all these things it's like hey if you if you know what you're doing if you know the rules you know how to break the rules and so for this one low minimum basic rates or and you know leaving dsss still um, enabled for the most part these are really bad ideas unless you really understand why you have those and what you're doing with them but for the most part you know i saw a i saw a pcap recently um And the the great part is it was a PCAP from somebody else in a different state. And they just sent it to me and they, they said, Hey, check this out. And so it was a bunch of beacons. It was a whole bunch of other stuff. So I took it and I just dumped it straight into Wi-Fi Explorer pro. Thanks Adrian. And it was funny because it broke the whole thing down for me. And I was able to take a look at all the beacons and I could look and I'm like, and my first response to her was you're in a high dense environment. And yet some of these SSIDs are running a minimum basic rate of six megabits per second. I was like, that is never going to work. And it turns out I was right.
0: And it because from time to time.
1: It does, but it's <laughs> not very often. So when it does, I need to celebrate it. But yay! <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, it, it, you're right.
0: I mean, it, it, there are some of these and there's somebody that's going to listen maybe, And the reality is there was a reason why they did it like that, even though it breaks all of the conventional wisdom. But if you know the rules and you know what your expectations are, you can bend them or break them a little bit. I mean, I guarantee there's probably every Wi-Fi person that listens to this podcast and every Wi-Fi person who doesn't has probably installed something the exact opposite way that they knew they should have because of, one reason or another temporary install. It was the only way to get any coverage at all. And it was like, they sold their soul to get it done, whatever.
1: But generally speaking, these are, yeah, that's why these are scary. And, you know, I think a lot of this stuff, and I think we can wrap this up with sort of a one final thought. And we've referenced it a couple of times. It's, it's about knowing and understanding the rules. Once you know, and understand the rules, that then allows you to be able to break the rules, but only when required and only when you know why you're breaking the rules. And that's the last scary thing. I think that you know, we can we can really encompass a lot of these things into people that are doing things without knowing why they're doing it. You know, it's like, oh, Jim, Jim said to put antennas, you know, eight feet off the ground on a ceiling and pointed straight down, external antennas. You know, when you would normally put in you know an omnidirectional AP, you know, just the built-in built-in antennas. And so people go, Oh, I saw I saw so-and-so do this, you know, pick a name, pick a name out of the usual suspects from you know, whoever, from whatever vendor, and they go, That person did that, so I'm just now I can go do that. But if you don't understand why that person did that, you can't just blindly follow that lead. Yeah, and- I mean, agreed. I mean,
0: uh- Looking at your list, because I know we're, we're kind of we're gonna close this one out. But yeah, you know, the last three are perfectly tied together. Don't put your aps too close. Don't put your aps in a straight line. And to your point, you do something because you're copying it, but you don't know why, and it doesn't work. You walk into a building and you see it. If it's designed a certain way and it's working, somebody took the time to make that design to work that way. Now, I, I, you mentioned the, the APs with external antennas pointing straight down. I made a design like that before in a in a past life, and I did it in a, in a very particular way. And people that didn't know why and didn't know the parameters were going, that's a horrible design. But it was a wide open floor plan, mm-hmm. literally like wide open shared desk seating, lots of, of devices in a very, you know, finite space. I needed the AP coverage. rather the capacity and the only way to do that was with literal directional antennas pointing straight down because i had very yeah it was just yeah but it was it depends it's i knew what i was doing and i knew what i had to do to make that work and i validated it um but i can't like yeah you can't just there's no photocopy button you can't just mimic it because i could go in to look at what you did at a former job or vice versa and unless i'm there to tell you or you're there to tell me I, am probably going to screw it up.
1: And, you know, a lot of that comes down to being able to look at, and that's, and that's where people, this is where people mess it up almost 100% of the time, unless you can look at the hardware and external antennas are a prime example of this and know exactly what the specifications of that antenna is. If you can't do that, then you can't just copy and paste it. Because if but if you do know that, if you can look at that antenna, and you go, I know the, I know the beam widths, I know the gains, I know the patterns, I know everything about that antenna just by looking at it. Then you can understand why somebody did that. But the problem we have with too many people is they look at it and they go, Oh, it's just an external antenna. It's probably an omni. And so they're like, Oh, you know, but if it's not, if it's not an but if you can't do that. Then don't ask questions. Jump on the jump on all the social medias, jump on everything else and say, Hey, somebody help educate me to understand why would somebody do something like this? That once you understand the whys, and I think Keith Parsons says this all the time too, is like, is like once you know and understand the rules, you then have license to break the rules. But until then, if you just, if you're just running around doing things and going, well, so and so did it. You know, without understanding the whys, then you are going to build some of the scariest Wi Fi ever. And we will all be laughing at you behind your backs because thankfully we've gotten better at not laughing at you in public.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But, and then that's, but I think the, the, and I I don't want to come off as a bashing episode. And I know. No, it's not. We say it in jest, but it really does depend. Um, Because at the end of the day, like I said, if you don't know why somebody designed it some way, then you don't know why it exists that way. Um and it may have been perfectly well designed and validated and work. It but it defies all logic. Now, again, like Jim said, the the one that we mentioned that absolutely won't is if you stick an AP in a metal box with no external antennas at all, um you're really going to have some bad coverage. But anyways. On that note, um this was I fun. I like this. I think that's, I was going to say I think that's enough <laughs> screen for today um hopefully everybody's <laughs> having fun this will we'll drop this one on halloween it'll be a nice trick-or-treat episode for you Um you can listen to it while you're out there we'll, we'll you know uh the kiddies will be out there getting you candy and you'll be uh Ar- you're, learning you're, about you're, wi-fi Yeah, why not you know it's fun um it's wi-fi supposed to be fun right yes so on that note we'll hit the uh the outro and we'll uh see everybody on the next episode see you guys If you want to contact the show directly, you can email us using the address ruckcast at To learn more about Ruckus products and services that we may have talked about on this or any other podcast, please check the links in the about section of the show.